This is Free Cookies from ESPNW. I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is a podcast all about sports, wellness, and pop culture. Okay, and on this week's episode, we're actually going to live up to that pop culture tag because we are dropping a pop cookie. Pop cookie sounds delicious. Mm. So airing right now on the Stars Network is a new series called American Gods, which was based on the book by... The God, yes, Neil Gaiman, your God anyway. Hey, well, he's he's my God, he's my literary God. Yes, uh, American Gods. We checked it out last night. Has a ninety five percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So obviously that means it's amazing. It's blowing up. And at the end of the show, we'll talk to actor Musa Kresh, who plays the Jinn, about his controversial scene in the show. It's amazing. So first, I'm so, so excited about the guest that we have today. And she is here to talk about how once upon a time, mm-hmm. she used Harry Potter books as yoga books. You blocks. must love that. That's genius. And and she's also going to talk about her new book, Every Body Yoga, the lovely Jessamine Stanley. We have plenty to discuss with Jessamine. Yoga, yes, but more so the yoga world what she calls the yoga industrial complex. Plus, she's going to talk a little bit about how her sexuality has shifted as she's gotten older. Of course. But, but. before we U-Haul it, we got to sports it up. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Okay, the NBA finals are happening right now. And the teams, yes, I know them both, I'm Waiting. Warriors versus Cavs. And what's happening? Same team as last year. Wow. Uh, so Golden State is killing it. They are up... Two to O. Yeah, two to o. good yeah. lingo. Looking, oh, yeah. Here's the thing. The series was supposed to be epic. It was a trilogy. They've played the previous two years. Warriors won one. Cavs won last year. Two best teams in the world. NBA regular season. Basically, we're all just watching 82 games in the postseason, knowing that we're about to see Golden State and Cleveland play again. And in honor of what we hope will turn into a series for the ages, we thought we'd share a list. A list, Catherine. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited. I am excited. This list is the, quote, so I remember where I was list. So we each have to pick three sporting events we can still picture with clarity. Okay. And it doesn't have to be basketball. doesn't have to be basketball. Okay. Why don't you take it away first? Yeah. Let me start. Get, paint the picture, please. On my list, number three. And I'm going any in particular re- order? No, yeah. Three is the one that I... It's not, I, I remember all of these, but they're not as momentous within the overall sports landscape. So I'm going from least momentous among momentous mm-hmm. events to most momentous. Thank you for that. Number Larry. three, Larry Johnson of the New York Knickerbockers, my basketball team growing up. There was really a team called the Knickerbockers? Yes, they're the Knicks. God, that's I love rich- you. I love you so much. Wait, that's like the long-winded, yes. that's their proper name? That, that's the long-winded name. <laughs> that's so the New York Knicks Knickerbockers right so the New York Knickerbockers Larry Johnson the Knicks are playing the Indiana Pacers in the playoffs the Knicks are down four points and they have possession at the end of the game now what did the Knickerbockers do what are they going to do four points is obviously more than you can usually score in one possession because of course a three-pointer is the most points you can score unless get fouled while you're shooting yes Mm. and Larry Johnson shoots a three-pointer he gets fouled while he's shooting a three-pointer. He makes you the get, three-pointer. You get three free throws. No, then. no, you get one. You get one. Oh. So, because he made it. So he got one free throw. Oh, because what if he didn't make it, would he get yes. three, three yes. free throws? God, That's a hard, okay. Yes, I, yes. I love your input here. Okay. 
So Larry Johnson ties this game with the Indiana Pacers and the New York Knickerbockers end up winning. And I can still picture myself on my living room couch at age 16 with my sister and we were doing the LJ, which is this thing you do where you put your fist to your elbow. This is terrible. She's making a a shape right now. But see how that's an L? Yeah. Right there? And then that's a J, Larry Johnson. So he would do, Larry Johnson, he would do an LJ. Okay. After he hit a big shot and this was the biggest and he ran around doing the LJ. Number two. On my list, the World Cup in 2006 where France was playing Italy in the final. And Zinedine Zidane, who who is very good looking and who we have an art print of behind our couch in our living room because he is that good looking. Most people only know him for this moment in time when in the World Cup final, he headbutted an Italian defender and got himself kicked out red carded so no mistake of it being a ball he was like that is a head and i'm gonna butt my head no 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 it It was a chest he he head butted he used his head to butt a chest like a little bull yeah like a little bull red card and you're out number one on my list of sporting events that i can remember is christian leitner in the ncaa finals a baseball pass from Grant Hill along the baseline to Christian Leitner at the opposite foul line. Mm-hmm. He catches the ball. He turns. He hits a jumper. Mm-hmm. As the clock expires and Duke beats Kentucky in the lead eight to go to the final four. And I was upstairs in the guest room of my house watching on a tiny little screen, of the one of those TVs that's like six inches in diameter and it's like a wooden box around it. And I was sitting on a folding chair and I, was, I must wow. have been like 10 years old. That was 1992. I remember that moment, too. And the reason that I remember that so well is because I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas. So I'm a Jayhawk at heart. This was when Duke played Kansas in the final game of the Final Four. Mm-hmm. And I was there. And I had... In person? I was there in person. I was covered in Jayhawk stickers and the little things that the you put on your cheek. T- you know, tattoo. The little tattoos on your cheek. And, of course, Duke won that night. And the celebratory cutting down of the net at the end of the game as one does and I was there with my mom and I had on my fluorescent pink Jayhawk hat that had been signed by every single player and I perched my chin on my mother's shoulder sobbing as I watched the Duke team cut down the net and then the next day my face crying was on the cover of the Lawrence Journal World newspaper it was, and I love that picture. You and are no adorable in it. no made fun of me because everyone was like, solidarity, man, solidarity. All of your friends were like, that was us. You represented us. That was emotional. So an- another memory number two, uh, Rex Walters also played for the Kansas Jayhawks, and I found him to be wildly attractive when I was nine, <laughs> however old I was. And we always stayed in the same hotel as the players. And this wasn't just stock factor. My father was actually the chancellor of Kansas, which well, is why- Those two things aren't mutually exclusive. He well, can be it, the chancellor, chancellor and you can be stalking Rex Walters. So, okay, legit. I continue. So I was with my friend, Cammie Miller. Cammie, if you're listening, hey, hey. What's up, Cammie? And we went knocking on the doors. We wrote like little cards for all the players and we had little um, chocolate bars for them and stuff. And I knocked on the door and Rex Walters opens it and he's wearing boxer shorts. And then Alonzo Jameson is in the bathroom shaving his head. And I just remember, I don't think I spoke. I think maybe my jaw hit the ground. My eyes physically turned into two little hearts and then I ran away screaming. What did Rex do? I I don't know. I'm sure he proposed to me and I was like, too young, too Too young. young. That's probably Um, what happened. 
And then memory number three, uh, baseball memory, actually, was when I was in Cooperstown at the Baseball Hall of Fame. And we were at a party and I was on my way to the bathroom and Yogi Berra came up to me. What? And Yogi is just as cute as you would expect him to be. And he comes up to me and he goes, so do you know where the little boy's room is? Because I'm trying to go to the bathroom and I just walked into the little girl's room and I just don't know where I'm going. I know that was maybe not what he sounds like, but I don't care. Bear with me. But um, yeah, so that was one of the highlights is Yogi Berra asking me how to get to the and little boys' room. And did you know he was Yogi Berra at the yes. time? Yes. Okay. I know my baseball players. I know. I know you do. Yes. I like those memories of yours. Thanks. You're cute. You're cute. And you know who else is cute, Kate? Who else? You know who is the cutest little nugget and I just want to pack her in my bag and take her everywhere? Tell me. Jessamine Stanley. Oh. Why don't we uh, bring her in the studio? I'm so excited. Jessamine Stanley is a yoga teacher, body positivity advocate, and writer based in Durham, North Carolina. Jessamine uses high-energy vinyasa flow as a way to move past mental and emotional barriers. Her classes provide a body-positive approach to yoga, which celebrates students' bodies and encourages them to ask, how do I feel, rather than how do I look? When practicing yoga. Now that's that's the first paragraph from the bio on your website. Is there anything not on your bio on your website that you currently identify with? Uh, no, you know, and honestly, I don't even know how much I find myself really identifying with all of those things. Like in my mm. mind, I'm just a Jessamine. I live my practice. Other people see it because I post stuff about it on the internet. I teach yoga, and so other people interact with me in that way. But I don't really actively, I'm not like, I'm a body positivity advocate, and this is what that means to me. It's like, loaded. no, I live my life, you know, I live my practice, and that is infused with body positivity and so if that whatever this isn't what you asked about this no is, this, no, is. No, this is truly this is. yeah it's like it's just i feel like when you define yourself too strongly then you set up boundaries mm-hmm. and then you can't exceed those boundaries and i feel like i don't know what i am i don't know who i am i'm just here and i don't want to get too caught up in the labels that's why i'm like ah read whatever you want to read say whatever you want to say i don't really care because i'm just i'm just me Oh my gosh, I am so excited that you're here. Yes. (laughs) Already, because, okay, so this is what Kate and I were discussing earlier. So, can we ask how old you are, Jessamine? I will be 30 on the 27th of this month. So, y'all are But what did you say just a minute ago that you feel you just realized you were 21? I only just realized (laughs) I'm not 21. Yes. So, how old were you when you started your Instagram page? Oh, that's I didn't know that's where that was going. I thought it was maybe No, literally. And I'm like, whoa, how old was I? Uh, 24, I think that's right, 24, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just fascinated because what we've been talking a lot lately is that that just how difficult social media is, Mm. but if you're a full-blown adult, hopefully gifted with some skills of coping with life, it's hard enough being in that school, but then you look at someone who's younger who has not developed these uh, this ability to understand what's reality and what isn't and how to and take social media becomes their entire identity yes 
Yes, that is so weird to witness. Like, so I feel like I kind of came to understand um, social media as a part of my, it's like a way that I learned to communicate. I was using all the different blogging platforms all through middle school, high school. It was not, I mean, Tumblr was where I started. It's very okay. much like I've always communicated this way. But when I see people who like, you start with an Instagram profile and you're like 16 or whatever. And then if you get any kind of attention mm-hmm. be- because of it, that identity that you have on the internet somehow fuses with who you actually are. And that is not who you are. Like that's not, and that's why I think there's so much ultimately sadness that surrounds social media because it is people trying to live up in their day-to-day lives to this fake identity that they've created for themselves that has nothing to do with them, um, with who they really are. Did that touch on what you were? Yes. Saying? No. Yeah. I like, yeah. I, I like at the end of each answer, you're like, "Was that what you wanted?" And I'm like, "I want whatever is coming to your mind <laughs> to us." <laughs> so, as someone who has over three hundred thousand followers on Instagram, and I, I feel like I almost said congratulations there, and I'm not sure whether that congratulations would have been I'm sorry. <laughs> how do how do you manage not getting wrapped up in? who people are telling you you are, the feedback you're getting on there, the, the mm-hmm. worshiping. Mm-hmm. Worshiping, yes. The worshiping <laughs> yeah. that comes through that feed. And can I add to mm-hmm. that too, because we're going to give you multi-tiered questions because that's yes. how we roll. When someone comes up to you and they say, oh my gosh, I follow you on Instagram. Are you, is that you're a like, compliment? No, I'm a yoga oh teacher and or, I yes, have a practice. Exactly. I'm not you're an like, Instagram That's star. not my identity. <laughs> Oh my gosh. First of all, I just need to thank you both for having me here to talk about this. That is really, really a major part of my life. And I feel like I never get to talk about this. Yes. So, um, yeah, it is really, really strange, all of this, because to me, so my, my answer to the first question, how do I deal with this, is that I don't, and that's part of why I have such horrible feedback with the people that follow me on social media. I don't respond to comments. I'm really slow getting back to feedback because I have to stay really, really separate from it. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't check it all throughout the day. I can't, like, it's enough for me to um, keep up with my Instagram story because it is... I see how people get sucked into this monster and I have no shade on it at all when people are like, you know, their identities are fused and they are upset by by mean comments and they are upset by loss of followers and all of this. I see how that happens and it's because you spend way too much time connecting with it. I am offered this opportunity to be showered with so much love constantly. That is a blessing as much as it is. It is complicated, but it is it is a blessing. And so ultimately, I'm just trying to like come to that place of understanding with it. But it is hard. You wrote a book. I hope that I did write a book. It's I cut you off right before now. you tried to say. I hope that answered your question, yes. which is the most adorable tick you have no. at the end of answering each question. It probably points to other problems <laughs> within myself, but that's something else. You oh wrote a Lord. book. I did write a book. Yes. I'm, I wrote a book. You wrote a book. It's you were in the middle of book tour. Book every, tour. Do I pronounce it every body yoga or is it okay either way? That is an excellent question that no one has ever really? asked. Really? And I'm so glad because it is everybody yoga. It's right. very Not much like everybody. It can everybody. be everybody yoga. But, but yeah. you, in your Come mind, on, everybody. It can be, you know. In your mind when you. It's every body okay. Yeah, but I don't, I mean, I also think that, like, it's meant to be something that you think about. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What was the writing process like for you? And and do you consider yourself a writer? I mean, you wrote a Mm. book now, but going into it, when you were, somebody said, 
Jasmine Stanley, what, what do you do? Would writing be one of the first couple? It, it actually is um, one of the first things for me because I've always been a journaler and I've actually, when I was in high school and in um, and in younger years, won a couple of different writing competitions and it's always been something that I've sort of reverted to as a way to just chronicle the things that are going on in my life. So it wasn't, it doesn't feel like a stretch and I'd written freelance pieces before so it wasn't like, oh, this is so wild to do. But the whole reason that I wrote the book is because there were so many people that have asked me over the years, like, Jessamine, how do I start practicing yoga? I see that you've done it. Like, what do I need to do? How did, like, how did you start doing this? And I'm always like, man, I do not have time to answer this email, Facebook message, Twitter, tweet, you know, all this stuff. My problem is that I'm lazy and I also just have really short attention span. When people are like, yeah, I have Snapchat, Instagram, oh Periscope, all these different things. I'm like, how are you maintaining that? How are you maintaining all well, this Because they're not maintaining the real life. They're just maintaining their exactly. social life. Exactly. And that's the thing that has become so imperative to me. It's like really valuing the people who are in my life. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I want to really be feeding the relationships of the people who are right in front of me and I can't do all of these things at the same time it does come down to bandwidth ultimately it's like I just don't I want to have it but I just don't well, I so, certainly don't think you yes <laughs> because the thread was I think when we oh, took yeah. a little hard right turn <laughs> we, I think it was a very important path that we traveled do. down now back to the main road was people were sending you messages saying how do I do this how oh, do I yeah, do that yeah, yeah. yeah so and it was which like, led to the writing of this book yeah totally so I was just like man I just got to write this down so that I never have to answer this question again so that like because I could not understand why so many people were messaging me about it I was like if you just google yoga yeah. like there must be I mean there's thousands <laughs> I have of resources that feeling <laughs> yeah. so many times no totally because it's Catherine, just like how do I get into plank yeah. <laughs> and then you're like how do I get into literally plank? you don't even have to do it the yoga way like there's so many different methods to this just google it and so I was like what is the deal and I just realized that there are a lot of people who just want to see themselves they just want to feel like oh I look at this I see someone who looks like me this is proof Mm -hmm. and evidence that I can do this and the book was an opportunity to speak to that person and coincidentally there are a lot of people who feel that way I am really curious about that because I yeah. can I read a little part oh, from your book I, I, as long as I as long as you're cool with me being awkward that you you just do your awkward cute little little roundabout thing that you're doing right now that's really adorable <laughs> it's my turtle but so it sounds like kind of the genesis for writing this book was you know getting back to these questions but then you wrote this and why did I write this book there's actually a section called that and you wrote I wrote this book for every fat person every old person and every exceptionally short person preach I wrote it for every person who has called themselves ugly and every person who can't accept their beauty. I wrote it for every person who is self-conscious about their body. And then you go on talking about being a human being. And to me, and, and this is how I relate to you as a yoga teacher as well, being a yoga teacher isn't about teaching yoga. It's not about teaching asana. It's like you said, it's giving people permission to see themselves. You, okay, this is where, this is the part where I stand for Catherine. So I, and I have to just as a, there's there's no way for me to be in this situation with y'all and not say, especially not after what you just said. So, so much of the reason that I even came to understand that as being a part of um, yoga, which is such a, it's such a small part whenever you really think about it, because yoga is so much bigger than all this nonsense that Massive. we eat, all of this stuff. But before... Um, 
before I encountered your teaching style, the only way that I'd really understood the practice was very much in this kind of competitive environment mm -hmm. where it's like you are up against the person next to you. You're trying to meet some kind of class-wide standard. And it's a very debilitating way to see the practice on so many different levels. And when I first took an online class with you, Catherine, it was like, this is a person who is trying to be okay with themselves. And their way to do that is by creating space for other people to have that experience as well. And it was so, it was such a stark contrast and it has always really really affected me and like I'm really going to try to keep this brief because like I <laughs> no, could I could on. go I, like I could go on and on but like so much of the reason that I have come to this place of understanding that everyone is just trying to live their own life everyone is trying to work through their own baggage their own damage and all you have to do as a teacher is make space for that to happen the reason that I understand that is because of you and it has been reinforced by other people and I've experienced other teachers but I just feel like I can't not thank you for that gift truly because it's your thumbprint is evident and so very much that maybe is not immediately recognized well, I'm honored if Whatever. I'm even a small sliver of what but, yeah. helped you to okay. get to this amazing platform that you're at now. But that's really like, that's it, though, you know, is that it's everybody should understand that regardless of where you are in your life, in your physical body, you have a spirit that has to be cared for and that this practice is a way to do that. And it is a beautiful physical practice mm -hmm. but that that physical practice is going to change depending on what's going on in your life depending on major injury depending on pregnancy depending on age depending on so many different factors and that the most important thing is that you just show up for whatever needs to happen I do have a quote I want to read as well but mm -hmm. I think first to give Jessamine a break from the embarrassment <laughs> of us reading her words back to her you you touched briefly in that answer on you know, the damage that we all have, which of course means that in your mind, as part of your story, there is you know, the heartache and the damage. What, what part of that can you share with us and for listeners to mm -hmm. help them understand a little bit about who you are and where you're coming from? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have a very, I have a kind of life experience that I think is pretty common honestly like I grew up in a predominantly white community and therefore had a lot of issues internalized racism to be frank um, about my own identity and then kind of understanding that through my hair journey understanding that through my body that I grew up I come from a long line of curvy black women but I grew up hating the fact hating my natural state of being and not respecting my body so that I wasn't even able to think that it would be fun to be in an athletic context without it being immediately related to weight loss. And that's mm -hmm. something that a lot of people struggle with this like need to change your body and that that's the only motivation to, um, to move your body. And then um, in addition to that, I, so it's like weight issues, hair identity issues. And then like, I've dealt with a lot of um, substance abuse problems that are really, really common in my generation, especially with and especially with people who identify as women that um, you just we talk about, you know, drinking bottle after bottle of wine like it's totally normal. And you don't realize that that's a problem until you're a police officer is waking you up in your car. So mm -hmm. like and those are things that I've experienced. And I think that a lot of people have and then 
I also in the book talk about death and how losing people who are close to you is so confusing emotionally and that we're all just trying to move forward from these um, these little crevices that we find ourselves in. And I am not immune to that. And I think that a lot of people um, believe that those kinds of experiences make them um, not worthy of a yoga practice, but that's backwards because that's exactly why you should practice. That's exactly it. The The pain is the reason to show up so that you can start to see that pain is a part of living, darkness is a part of living. Yes, you answered my question before. I, hope, I was going to say, <laughs> did I answer your question? So on page 19, and I, by the way, I love the story you write later in the book about that DUI and... Sure how it led to so much self-reflection oh, about your own relationship with alcohol. Yeah. Um, but so on page 19, you write, quote, and man, there's some swearing in this, so I see how <laughs> I navigate it. Quote, do you want on me the to do the beep? Yeah. Tell me when. Oh, yeah. On the contrary, I think beep things will continue to happen, but that's life. The beep beep never ends. Any attempts to control or anticipate the crests and valleys will only yield dissatisfaction and disappointment. So my question for you after reading that is that acknowledgement that the damage and the crevices that you just shared about your past will inevitably be part of your journey going forward. In your present day, what are you dealing with? What are you struggling with? Oh, my God. How much time do we have? <laughs> uh, we got I about mean, 10 more minutes, but feel free to soliloquy it up. A whole other level of stuff. I mean, it's wild to be in this place where, like, oh, I'm talking about these things that happened in the past. You know, I'm mm -hmm. talking about this, all of this information that I'm already learned, I've already learned or that I'm processing currently. And then I'm like, yeah, but what's happening right now is wild. Because, I mean, so... One of the things that I didn't talk about in the book, and I did write a whole chapter about this and then ultimately scrapped it because it just was way too much information about people that do not need their lives out there like that. But I am polyamorous and therefore that has made a lot of different kinds of complications in my life because of the people who are in my life. Following the time out. <laughs> You're like, in honor. <laughs> only because I want to make sure to quote unquote define certain define things for our, our, yeah. our listeners because mm -hmm. later on Catherine and I walking over here we're like we got to talk to her about her love life I'm all yeah. pleased I'm like <laughs> yes now so we're getting where I want to go <laughs> please for our listeners will you share what that what the definition of that means to you yes yeah. to you personally yeah totally because it does mean different things to different people yeah. um for me polyamory is just that there are many different people in this life that I feel I'm meant to be connected with and that relationships can exist on the same plane together and that you can be you can be in love with many different people for many different reasons and maintain relationships with them that may not all look the same and it may require a lot of communication but that for me is the best way to um kind of one follow-up work yeah does that mean then it is there a difference because that to me sounds like the number and how you're managing relationships. Wait, not, is this all at the same time? Right, not yeah, necessarily yeah. like, would you describe yourself as like pansexual in terms of who you might fall in love with? Yeah, so this is, yeah, so this is separate from, I identify as queer, so I identify as, and then to give an explanatory comma here, um, and this is defined differently depending on who you're talking to, but I um, identify my gender as being queer, as existing not in the binary, and then also binary being just man and woman as opposed to I appreciate that <laughs> Dope. Yeah, um, but then my um, 
sexual understanding of myself is also queer that I don't really think that any human beings exist on the binary and I think that we are all just kind of out here and I'm attracted to many different humans for many different reasons and um, I did come out as a lesbian when I was 17 and I came out again as queer when I was uh, in my early 20s but um, that has been the best way for me to kind of define it but that and then being polyamorous on top of it in which I am engaging in many different romantic relationships at the same time I have a limit on the number of I don't want to make it sound like <laughs> yeah I just someday I mean I've been poly for a while so I know because that, you like, mentioned your partner earlier yeah in so, the conversation and people on Instagram don't get excited because she's not gonna write you back do, yeah that's yeah <laughs> I have well and that's I talk about one partner one uh, one main partner, but I do have, like, I would, I mean, I have two primary partners. Um, one of them is a non-sexual partner, and then one of them is a sexual partner. Mm. But I, um, all of these different things that we're talking about make all the drums in day-to-day life. Like, it's a lot different now than it was um, when I was younger, but, and not even like I'm that much older, but I do think that, um, the lessons that I've learned from those relationships have really informed a lot of the way that I think about this life. Wait, so what's the what's the current? Oh, current. Okay, yeah. so I mean, like, it's just the difficulty of dealing with all of these, um, like, receiving so much positive feedback when I don't think that I'm doing anything that is really worthy of positive feedback, I'm just living my yoga practice, to have people be so nice to me constantly, night after night. And then to be on this book tour right now where there's like, it's so relentless, the kind of human interaction. And it's a lot of energy to be giving and receiving. And then also to try to show up for my loved ones who are not on the road with me. And then to really be thinking like, what does this mean about who I am as a person? What does this mean about my practice? Is my practice becoming something that's on display for other people? Or is this something that really is just a part of my own life? You know, there's this whole identity issue. And then it comes into like, if you, um, you know, when you are in love with people and when you want to show up for them, it's hard to show up for them when you're trying to just show up for yourself. And and I found that my practice has become really I understand it in a in an even more powerful way than I did before, because I feel like it's the thing that has survived with me through all of this and that I'm really looking forward to the time um, when this book tour is over, when I have time to really digest everything that's happened because I think that my perspective on the other end is going to be really different than it was before I wrote this book yoga from an outside perspective because I think I come from an outside perspective it's supposed to be about it seems like it's supposed to be about these beautiful lessons and going within yourself and and discovering how you process the world through you know this physical discipline that I guess is the most charitable way I would look at yoga Whereas when you're actually in the yoga world or you're with someone who's in the yoga world. You're so cute and pragmatic. I, like I know. Like, this yeah. is a really clean right. description right I now. I love it. But the, actual, yeah. the actual yoga world, and by that I mean maybe people who are in it and also making a living within it, mm-hmm. doesn't always reflect all of that. Uh, What's uh, your, and by that you mean never. Okay, I'm honest. just trying to be charitable over here. What has been your experience of the yoga world as it, a commercial world? Oh, man. Okay, so first of all, I have to just identify with this because, like, I know that y'all are, like, 
whatever together but i always Dating? date scientists yeah i always oh. date scientists who think like really it's non-yoga practitioners who are also scientists who are just like really critical of everything with yoga so when you were saying like i'm gonna be charitable i was like you're totally like <laughs> that's really funny to me anyway so oh wow the yoga industrial complex i just there feel like mm -hmm. you know the whole yoga world because it is seen as like a subset of the fitness industry which i think that's really where the problem Sticking derives one, right? yeah that's yeah. the biggest problem is that it's like this is really a spiritual life path it's not really a, a fitness thing there are there are beautiful physical benefits yes there's amazing benefits but we get hung up on that part of it and then it becomes like about this lifestyle that's attached to that part of it where like so if you're if you're going to be practicing yoga then you need to make sure that you have this mat or that you have these leggings or that you go to this place or that you drink that thing or that you do you know it becomes mm. about all of this stuff that has nothing to do with looking within yourself i feel like that's why also why i was never really like that confused whenever people email me i mean people still email me like what how do i start practicing yoga i get why you're confused about it because i don't even understand it like when i'm looking at i mean like if you look at instagram and look at hashtag yoga it's like so are people worshiping handstands or what's mm. good like is this all about leggings i don't really understand do i have to go on a retreat like there i mean it's like there's all of this commercialism that is eating away at a larger message but at the end of the day I don't really care because I just feel like that to me is not yoga that's a trend that's like it's like Taibo or Richard Simmons or like uh, yes <laughs> Oh my gosh, I just got invited to a go yoga thing. Oh my god, and I you don't want to shade it because to they're gonna know. Yoga. No, I can't even talk Stop about it, it because they're gonna know who you No, I can't talk about it. We'll, we'll talk about it, it when this is over. What kind of gravitational pull do you feel toward the industrial yoga complex? Is it a gateway well, drug in some ways, do you oh think? Oh yeah. It's definitely a gateway drug and it's definitely a um well, okay. Do I need to define gateway drug in that? Oh. No, no, I, I get it. Okay. I, get All right, cool. I feel like everybody did dare. No? Oh dare. Or maybe not yet. Drug abuse resistance education. You were paying attention in class. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. Was, I love you. You still got the t-shirt. You know that. Yes. Navy blue with red Whoa. lettering. Heard. <laughs> got it. I actually had a rainbow holographic one um, back in the day, Ooh. and I don't understand why that didn't survive to 2017. But that's a, neither here nor there. So um, I think that, you know, I, I grew up in the society that we all grew up in. Like, I respect capitalism. I understand it. I don't really have a problem with it, to be completely honest. This is one of the... I was just talking to Rebecca about this before um, at lunch, how I feel like Rebecca yoga... Rebecca is her, a publicist for Workman Publishing. Who makes everything amazing. We're, we're waving to her right now. Hey. hey. But I was just saying how, like, um, yoga can accidentally it creates what appears to be apathy because i'm just kind of like Meh, you know i mean like yeah people i get why it exists and i also think that um for me well i don't know how much i want to get into this on here i have a whole um psychological reasoning for why i'm okay with aspects with the yoga industrial complex and i don't really know that i want to go into it mm -hmm. in great detail here but um it basically boils down to the idea that 
everybody we live in a society that's run by money and so in order to live in it comfortably you have to have some of it and i don't think it's unreasonable for a yoga teacher to monetize in the same way that anyone else monetizes but i think there has to be a very clear distinction between what you are putting out for other human beings and the way that you are um, portraying the practice and the way Mm -hmm. and your motivation everything is about intention ultimately but if your intention is off or if it is like, I think that there also has to be a distinction between that and who you really are, like in your day-to-day life and the way that you're really living your practice. And I think that um, one of the problems with, I call it the yoga industrial complex because it's like, like kind that. of sums everything up for me. But one of the problems with the yoga industrial complex is that there are a lot of people who have a very large influence who do not ask these questions. And they're just like, oh yeah, totally assume that we're worshiping handstands or that you know that you have to curate your life to be because and especially when you throw social media into it it just gets sketchy because it's like people trying to create these fake universes to make other people jealous and you're basing it off of a yoga practice and that's the opposite of yoga preach Preach. Yeah, you have another two hours because I actually want to hear your theory on the split (laughs) But you know, you're personality so right between yoga <laughs> capitalism and yoga passion. But we don't have two more hours, do we? No. no. Ooh, one yes. last question. On names. Oh, yeah. What's your favorite cookie? I have listened to this cookie debate, and I understand <laughs> that there's a whole logic behind the cookies, and I have all the opinions about it that apparently we'll have to just discuss oh, off rile the air. Up. Jessamine, rile her up. My favorite cookie is cinnamon raisin that's my favorite cookie period oatmeal raisin cinnamon, yeah oh, oatmeal raisin okay, oatmeal raisin. Oatmeal, high five that's raisin. my favorite yeah okay. you're very They're sophisticated tasty. but wait there, there's one more thing that we wait. have to touch upon really quick okay because yeah. uh, when we come to lists kate has this oh, list thing oh, lists. and and last yes. week i believe i discussed all the ish that kate loses i lose and, a lot of things and, and when you walked in today did you say you I, lost your phone i still Jessica? don't know where my phone is <laughs> throughout this whole recording so you guys are kindred souls and you can go not be connected to social media because you don't know where your phones are and eat oatmeal raisin cookies together and not answer messages <laughs> twitter dms <laughs> yeah only and I will I will be your assistant for both of you and answer all of your emails or well, write something really thoughtful. We can all be friends as long as I can actually like I'm trying to narrow down my knowledge of sports like at, like actual um, national team sports because I love basketball and I love baseball but I don't have like a team that I always root for. Kate can help you on and, that. And like yeah. I definitely I just feel like that's a lacking part of my I get why people are really attached to different sports teams and I'm like I feel like I could feel that for a team but I just don't know enough to really care. So if that I'll, can happen. Yeah. I'll be your consultant, your sports okay. consultant. Cool. So we can go on a double date. Or triple yes. Double date. Or yes. Or double date. What kind of date will I be? will be here. <laughs> it will be a you bring double the party date. And we'll show this, up. this is one of the rules of polyamory. <laughs> it is a double date. Um, but actually, um, my partner and a bunch of my friends will be coming up for Afropunk in August. So like, we should all totally. I'd love to hang out. Yeah. Thanks again. We love Thank you guys you. for having me. I love y'all. Aww. I think we need to stretch it out after all this yoga talk. Back after the break. Next, you're holding up the line, ma'am. What did you say? You're next in line for the water slide, ma'am. Feet forward and enjoy the ride. Okay, dearie, this does look fun. Whee! Oh, you've melted me. I've melted. 
The Wicked Witch of the West on a water slide? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. See what you've done! GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Y'all, I love cookies, but what do I love? Maybe as much as cookies? No, but you love it a lot. American Gods. You really love it. I I do. It it has been one of my all-time favorite books, and it's now turned into a show But the thing that's so fascinating that Neil Gaiman, the author, created, and this is something, this is a conceit that happens in a lot of mythological, supernatural stories in general, but it's this idea that gods only exist when they're worshipped. So Neil writes about this idea that these old gods of old, like Norse gods, for example, came across the seas with their people, but as they got to America and these people died and it wasn't passed on, that the, the gods die with them. So the only way to keep things alive is through worship. And I'm just really fascinated at the concept of worship and how that keeps people alive and also how we are feeding ourselves through worship. Yeah, and how the construct of the time period leads to the evolution of certain kinds of gods yes and so you know we have media now yeah and of course back in the day if it was a culture that was built on the sea you were going to see more seafaring origin stories of gods and now and i and i and this is something that's so fascinating to think about for those of us on social media our culture is now constructed in a way where the god's we worship are almost each other. Or ourselves. Because or ourselves. we've created these altars, have you, right? The altars Your are Instagram our, page. Your our Instagram feed. page. And people come to our altar, to our Instagram pages, to worship, to pay homage. To and we get bigger the more worship we have, just like in American gods. And do we fade away into nothingness when people no longer follow us? Hopefully none of those things are happening to our listeners, and less so to us, because it is a torturing acknowledgement when you realize that you are turning to your social media to be infused with some kind of validation which is a reoccurring theme on this podcast for the reason that it's top of mind for both of us absolutely and without further ado here's our conversation with american gods actor musa krish moose Anyone who knows me really well knows that I am absolutely obsessed with Neil Gaiman. He's been my favorite author since I was little. Okay. And so when I first found out that Musa, well, actually, this is how it happened. Musa and I hadn't talked for a while. Mm-hmm. And I was stalking the American Gods Instagram. And then I went to see who are they following. And they're only following, you know, like 70 people. Mm-hmm. And I'm scrolling through and I see they're following someone I'm following. And it's Musa. And I was like, wait a second. And then I go into IMDb and I see that he is on the show. And I message him and I go, oh my, no, 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 wait. Did we speak before that? And we then were, I realized. We, we were talking before that. We were catching up, old friends. It and, was crazy and, timing. Yeah. And then I think randomly you just sent, it was like. All caps. Oh my, all caps. <laughs> oh my God. Are It wasn't even, you're an American gods. It was like, are you an American gods? I need to confirm this. <laughs> and then I said, yes, which was. I need Neil Gaiman's phone number. And it's like total stalker type. It wasn't congratulations. It wasn't like, it literally was, how can I get to Neil Gaiman through you? I was like, this is weird. Yeah. But because I love Catherine. And I would just like to clarify for everyone listening right now that he did not bring Neil with him. I didn't bring Neil with me. Yeah. Because I didn't. But was I it this morning? Catherine was like, I have this outside hope that Musa <laughs> this afternoon will just surprise me. With and Neil. bring Neil Gaiman. With Neil. 
in hand. Yeah, because I figure Neil just like has a lot of time to kill. Of course. And wants to tag along of course. when he's you are roaming through New York doing podcasts. Mm-hmm. I think he's done writing. I think he's yeah. just like, you know what? I'm done. I'm just going to go sprinkle stardust everywhere. I've done I go a couple now. of Sandman movies. Uh, sorry, books. Mm-hmm. I've done a couple of feature films that people really like. Wrote a novel. Wrote a couple comic books. And you just gave him the best scene from one of his books. And I just ever. gave him one of the best scenes. That, actually, what he said verbatim. I would That's like to the, know. That is one of the one of the best things, in all seriousness, coming out of this and people responding to this. Him specifically, and we we did a kind of a Q and A at at Glad recently last week, and he was so ecstatic and so proud of this particular episode because he never thought that he would see this on the big screen, mm-hmm. and not not American Gods. That scene in particular, he was just like, I, I don't know if that's ever going to make television or film or whatnot. It's so controversial. I thought it was fascinating because it was the first scene between two men, maybe other than Brokeback Mountain, mm-hmm. but this mm-hmm. one had more mysticism in it where it felt like love. But normalizing more, and love and connection. Yeah, where it felt like a loving sensual depiction of sex between two men yeah where everything else i'd seen often just veers toward raunchy very true i agree with all that absolutely and then on top of that the fact that musa your parents are from palestine or you were born in palestine no 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 my both my parents are palestinian um me and my siblings are all first generation american got it and born and raised in brooklyn we have a huge family and then a lots of nieces and nephews that i'm getting to see and i feel like the arab mark Wahlberg of, <laughs> of, of my community <laughs> i'm just like i got a lot of nieces and nephews to feed so more mm-hmm. work please more work but I, I think that on top of it also not only normalizing that it's a, a loving sexual scene between two men mm-hmm. but two men from Arab descent. And I, and I love having these conversations because it, people will be like, oh, is that a religious is, is it is that a religious thing? Why people and, and you're like, no, it's cultural. Sure. That's literally cultural. Yeah. If it was Saudi Arabia, of course, you would be punished by death. Uh, you go to a different country that's mostly Islamic or Middle Eastern or Muslim. No, you know, because everybody has a different way of how they how their culture, Islam and what's happening in the world in that negative form with ISIS, that has nothing to do with the religion itself. So this scene, like that's why I asked you guys a question. It was like, how do you, how do you guys see it? For me, I didn't go in there going, oh wow, I'm gonna get my Middle Eastern man thing on with another man. Mm-hmm. It was, how do I depict this in the most loving way of somebody so that everybody relates to this? I don't care if you're a man, a woman, what your sexuality is, that you should walk away from this scene connected to what you just saw because everybody knows what it's like to be alone everybody knows what it's like to be in a new city by yourself everybody can connect to two people finding one another and actually having a moment and a connection that's just based pure on love that's all it was so when i see certain titles that are going around like the clickbait stuff where it's like most pornographic gay scene i'm like why belittle it it's so much bigger than that and it's so much better than that because we're not portraying you know it's funny they talk nothing about religion in that episode you see two middle eastern men and automatically you go Mm -hmm. 
will they get killed over over this? Will they, they don't talk about religion? It's just too it is many. American gods, though. It is American gods, and again, I think the only time they actually talked about religion and Jesus was when Ian McShane has a completely different great, scene. Sure, yeah. completely different scene, but it's so brilliant because he goes, "Which one?" He, and he goes down the line of all the different, all the Jesuses, different Jesuses that people worship, and you're just like, "Yes, of course." It's all about perspective, and it's all about outlook, and that's what makes this show so great. It's why I'm so excited to be a part of it because it's bigger than what we think it is and yet everybody can agree uh, i will not agree but i mean everybody can connect to it if if they just open their hearts and enjoy it for what it is thank you for joining us today thank you are we done because this is so much fun we could keep going i know thanks musa thanks guys this was fun thank you and that'll do it. Episode number six in the books. Chuck it up. We rock. But before we wrap up, we need to acknowledge a Cookie Monsters email we received this weekend at freecookies at ESPN.com. Yes. Bridget Kaczynski is arguing that you, Kate, are wrong. Impossible. She says... Die Hard is a Christmas movie, Kate. It is not exclusively a Christmas movie, but it is for sure. I also have a list of Christmas movies, and this is on it. It counts. I, I, okay, Bridget, thank you so much for listening, and thank you so thank much you for challenging Kate for emailing. But like, you have no reasoning in there except to say it for sure is a Christmas movie. Here's why it's not a Christmas movie. Things that are Christmas Jeez. movies, when somebody says to you Home Alone, you're like, "What's that about?" You're like, it's about a kid who gets left alone on Christmas. Something in the top three descriptors of that movie have to be Christmas and the fact that it's happening around Christmas. When somebody's like, Die Hard, I'm like, oh, that's an action movie. That's an action movie about a villain who invades. Does he wear a Santa suit? I haven't seen Die Hard in a couple years. Does he wear a Santa suit? I don't know, but I'm just saying that if there is indeed Santa outfits within this movie, then perhaps it is indeed a Christmas movie. Oh, is that one of your definitions of what makes a Christmas movie? I am making a list. If Christmas is not in the top three descriptors of your movie, it is not a Christmas movie. I will acknowledge that I should probably watch Die Hard again because I last saw it about six years ago. And I'll get back to you, Bridget, if I stand corrected. And for real this time, we have a working email this working email is freecookies at espn.com so come at us back to bridget christmas back to bridget she also said that i need to add the chocolate chocolate chip cookie to the standard cookie list she's in and your emotional reaction to that is as much as i reject bridget's notion that die hard is a christmas movie her cookie suggestion has more merit and chocolate chocolate chip cookie is out with the board of directors for review for inclusion on the standard cookie list and, and if so, you'd like to be on this board of directors you can also email free cookies at espn.com and please tune in next week when we add number 10 to the standard cookie list it's going to be a can't miss episode yes absolutely so Free Cookies is from ESPNW. It is. Please be sure to check out ESPNW.com for all your women's sports news, features, as well as lifestyle and culture tips. Yes. And this podcast is produced by the lovely Sarah Johnson. She's the best. She's the best. It's edited by Brendan Rosen, and we got production help from the Tony Chow. What's up, Tony? You can find us on the Listen tab of the ESPN app or wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. Please, please subscribe rate and review the show yes you guys belated birthday present for me rate the show happy 35th to Catherine Budig woo rate the show we out peace peace